Greetings, listeners, if any, and welcome to DM Dad, the podcast about playing Dungeons and Dragons and other role-playing games with kids. A great way to spend time with your family, now that your friends are too old and have all moved away. I remember one of my first Christmas times here in the UK as I was walking through the aisles of a local supermarket and the Christmas music was playing over the PA and uh, two apparently drunken Irish people calling each other slags and sluts and junkies and the F word and I was like, this is a Christmas song? And it was. It's called The Fairy Tale of New York by the Irish sort of folk punk band, The Pogues. And if you thought that that couple had issues, that's nothing compared to A Christmas Duel by The Hives and Cyndi Lauper. Um, I probably won't be playing um, Fairy Tale of New York because, first of all, it's really, really famous, so everybody knows it. Um, and one of the words they use in there is um, highly offensive to uh, homosexuals, although, strictly speaking, in Irish slang, that particular word refers to a lazy bum. Um, um, originally the word in question refers to a bundle of sticks. And so presumably a lazy person lies around like a bundle of sticks and hence they can be called that word. And that is apparently the context in the song. However, that's a very obscure regional usage and the more common and widely known usage is a very offensive term. So I, I'll just go ahead and avoid that, but I have no problems with the F U C K word. So that features profusely. In the following song about possibly the most dis- dysfunctional couple in all of Christmas mythology. But why do I like songs about people having a bad time at Christmas? Christmas puts a lot of pressure on people to be very happy and to have or pretend to have the perfect life. And none of us have the perfect life and none of us are happy all the time. And sometimes the pressure to be extra happy can actually make you even less happy. And while I do, you know, love all the, the trappings of, of Christmas and looking at my decorated Christmas tree and, you know, twinkling stars and things like that, even as I speak, it's important to remember that we we still feel our full range of emotions and that not everybody is having the perfect time and that in a way you don't have to have the perfect time this is a comic song it's not uh, meant to be taken too seriously but in amongst the traditional holiday cheer and goodwill towards your fellow human beings i like to remember that you know even this time of year we're all allowed to be angry and unhappy if that's how we really feel
gift this year And I slept with your sister I know I should have thought twice Before I kissed her But with the year we had last And the dress that she wore I just went along for the ride And I came back for more And I'm sorry
So a while ago when I talked about um, running my daughter through uh, an old school OD&D dungeon that I made using the random dungeon generator um, from an early issue of the tactical review or the strategic review, which is the predecessor to Dragon Magazine, uh, Rich Fraser, Fraser from Cockatrice Nuggets uh, called in and said that, you know, he would be interested in hearing more about this random dungeon. It's, um, even though the first level is still only half finished, it's pretty big, so probably won't spend an entire, any single episode talking all about it. What have I, how many areas have I got so far? 49 keyed areas and i'm halfway through so this is like like i said um this unintentionally ended up being like a barrow maze style thing where it's a mega dungeon on one level it's like the first level is almost a mega dungeon in itself especially when it gets um completed um and in keeping with the kind of old school style there isn't a lot of logic to it um, I really went with the flow as far as um, uh, the design and uh, w you know just going along with the uh, the random the random rules um, because I wanted that uh, that kind of crazy gonzo you know just go with it feel. There isn't a great deal of advice or description in the. Uh, the holy three little brown booklets. Um, and um, my guiding principle in trying to build this um, really comes from a, a couple of sentences in those three booklets. One of them from uh, the first volume, Men in Magic, which uh, comes under the preparation for the campaign and uh, basically says, you know, you're going to have to construct a dungeon and when this task is completed the participants can then be allowed to make their first descent into the dungeons beneath the huge ruined pile a vast castle built by generations of mad wizards and insane geniuses uh you'll probably recognize that quote because chuck thorne um read it recently on one of his readings from the little brown booklets um the first time i read that I actually took that to mean that that is where you start your adventure that, you know, everybody, you, you map out your dungeon, then everybody gets to the table. They all roll their characters at the table and then you start them at the entrance to the dungeon without any preamble whatsoever. Um, I now think that that's not necessarily what Gary Gygax was, uh, trying to suggest but that was my original intention so there's no real context to this dungeon i built um or at least there wasn't at first um because i because i'm always thinking about how to tie things together and stuff like that i eventually decided that there is a little story that it that it is a the ruined castle of a wizard in my settings in my setting magic isn't um looked upon favorably by people who don't do magic, which is the majority of people. So a castle that once belonged to a wizard is naturally a ruin because at some point in the past, they'll have uh, captured or killed the wizard and then tried to knock the castle down, believing it to be cursed or something. Um, but 
being afraid of magic, they won't have explored thoroughly the dungeons underneath, which still could be teeming with creatures and magic items. And, you know, that's obviously why you'd want to go down there. Um, the other, the other influence was from the underworld and wilderness section of the three little Brown, uh, booklets where Gygax writes, there is no real limit to the number of levels, nor is there any restriction on their size other than the size of the graph paper available, which that's one of the reasons why I, um, set my dungeonographer program on a very high number of, uh, squares to fill in i just wanted to imagine that i had this huge expanse of graph paper and i could just fill it there are some pictures of some early gygaxian dungeons and it looks like it there's so so much of the graph paper is filled out that you wonder how he even tracked progress through it there's very little there seems to be more uh more areas and corridors and rooms than there are empty spaces between the areas and corridors and rooms as they all kind of snake and t intertwine with each other. Must have been very confusing for the mapper. So anyways, Gary uh, Gygax goes on to write, Greyhawk Castle, for example, has over a dozen levels in succession downwards more than that number branching from these sounds like rap and ethic and not less than two new levels under construction at any given time these levels contain such things as a museum from another age an underground lake a series of caverns filled with giant fungi a bowling alley for 20 foot high giants and an arena of e an arena of evil crypts and so on now some of these things make sense enough um a cavern of giant fungi. Yeah, you could find that underground. An underground lake. Hey, Gullum lives in an underground lake when we first meet him. This is all fine. Museum from another age. That's a weird thing to put underground. A bowling alley for 20-foot-high giants. How far down is that? And why are giants living so deep underground? And why do they have a bowling alley? And if they were going to have a bowling alley, why would they put it there? Um, some things he doesn't mention in here, but I read about in Kent David Kelly's series of uh, books, Hawk and More, that one level had a mated pair of, of adult black dragons that were, they were kind of contained in that level. Um, but if the, if the party of adventurers got in there, they might inadvertently release, release them and then they'd have to run from them. And, you know, you can stop and think, hey, who put those black dragons there? Are they fed regularly? How do they eat? But that's not really the sensibility of the game, at least in this era. None of this had to make sense. There was no real dungeon ecology. And so I tried to kind of keep that feel. So there, there, there isn't usually an explanation for, for why the the things you hear i rolled them up on a table and i thought they'd be fun on the other hand i do sort of start piecing together a loose story as i go along so i started my dungeon um with some stairs leading downwards so i'm imagining that there are the ruins of a castle and that nothing on the uh, the surface level 
contains much of interest. In fact, the only thing that you would find if you look there is you might find some other secret entrances, like there might be a, a chute leading down to a lower level. You know, I, I kind of, I definitely want there to be multiple entrances, including entrances to other levels. But the 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 main entrance is you can und you can you can discover a staircase leading down into darkness that was obviously. It used to be indoors. Now, whatever room contained it is long gone. Um, when you uh, when you reach the bottom of the stairs, there's an illusory wall on your left, which is a uh, is probably not impossible to detect. But because people won't be expecting to have to find an illusory wall there, um, I imagine that they won't they won't actually find it. And certainly my daughter didn't find it and still hasn't found it. Um, it doesn't, it's, it doesn't serve much of a purpose ex except that if you go through it, you will go down, you will go down a long corridor, then make a sharp right turn, make another sharp right turn and go down another long corridor and lead you into a centipede nest and, centipede nest and further a pit trap and basically that just loops around to nothing the early the early areas of this dungeon ha the only way to escape them is by finding secret doors so it, it was designed to frustrate people into thinking that hey there's nothing down here if they can't find secret doors of course with an elf you have a pretty good chance of finding secret doors but anyways, let's uh let's begin at the beginning. So you come down a worn stone staircase and uh you um end up on a a long corridor leading away um west. But about 10 feet down that corridor um another corridor opens up, a side passage opens up due north. And my daughter's party took the 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 west corridor, so uh, we did marching order. So I knew who was uh, who was in front. And thirty feet down, there's a pit trap, and the uh, the rules for pit traps in OD and D, and we were playing absolute OD and D, like the three little brown booklets, chainmail rules for combat. This we weren't using a retro clone. This was before I discovered swords and wizardry. So it said that a trap will open on a roll of one or two on a d6, a two and six chance, because these traps, are, the whole place is abandoned and old, so the traps don't work every every single time they're triggered. So the cleric was the one who ended up triggering the trap. And they were not prodding ahead with 10-foot poles. She hadn't learned that technique yet. So the cleric falls down into the pit and takes 1d6 damage. I believe it was only one point. I, think, I believe I only rolled a one on that d6. So, so the cleric only took a, a point of damage, which was lucky because being that we were using absolute original rules... We rolled hit points. I didn't let them start at max, which I do now. So they used some rope and fished the cleric out of the out of the pit, and now they were able to avoid it because there's enough of a ledge around it that they can just walk around it. Now that it's triggered, they're not going to fall foul of it again. 
20 feet further down the corridor, there's the centipede nest. Now, they're not giant centipedes. They're just normal-sized centipedes, but they are poisonous, and there's a lot of them. And I did not roll that on a random encounter. I put that there on purpose because the very first time Gary Gygax playtested his rules... He ran a dungeon, and this is the first time anybody's ever explored a bit of the dungeons beneath Castle Greyhawk. It was his two kid. It was two of his kids, Ernie, playing. Well, I think he hadn't rolled up Tensor yet. I think this was before he he rolled up the Wizard Tensor. But Ernie Gygax and one of his daughters. I always forget which one, but it wasn't the one who named the game later. It was his older daughter. Um, and the first thing they encountered was a centipede nest. And so I, I put the centipede nest there on purpose because it, as like an homage to the first time anybody ever ran their kid through a ridiculously uh, lethal and confusing dungeon using original Dungeons and Dragons rules. Now, um, they didn't fight. My, my daughter didn't fight the centipedes. Um, they're poisonous and it was a save or die thing, but... The centipedes are a lot slower than the party members were. So as soon as they saw them, they just turned back and ran away. And there was no need to worry about the pit trap, as I said, because they could just walk around it. And the centipedes couldn't pursue them fast enough, nor were they actually interested in. That was just where they lived. They weren't like going to go and kill them out of spite. And they weren't guarding any treasure either. So it was probably a wise decision not to fight these centipedes. So after that, they ended up exploring the North Corridor. If they had looped around, if they had bypass or got through the centipedes, they would have looped around, and the parallel passage slopes gradually upwards. And I believe they did have a dwarf with them, so there's a chance the dwarf would have noticed that. But that, and then they would have come through the illusory wall and discovered it that way. But it, you know, it would they would just be going around in circles. So instead, they turned back and explored the North Passage. And um, about 40 feet up, a side passage branches off heading west, and the north passage continues on for another 40 feet. And both passages seem to end in a dead end. But of course, in reality, they're both secret doors. So um, you can't get through this without finding at least one of the secret doors. Um, as it happened, my daughter explored the West Passage and found the secret door um, and that it le leads into Area 1. And Area 1 is an empty room, but it's littered with animal bones and other rubbish. So they had a little look around that. A horrible stench. Um... They never discovered this, but I rule, I, I've written in the description that there's double the chance of a wandering monster patrol if they try to rest in that room. It's kind of like the goblin's um, rubbish dump. The theme of this level is goblins, because goblins are a classic low-level monster, and I wanted the first level to be a low-level you know, area. So there's it's mainly a, a layer of goblins. They're, they're, goblins in uh, original Dungeons & Dragons, the, the number encountered is 40, 40 to 400. So 4d10 times 10. Um, I rolled up 
I think like 180 goblins. But obviously you don't want them all in the same area because no, even a high-level party can't fight 180 goblins. It's ridiculous. Plus, imagine the room that would have to, the, how big the room would have to be to accommodate them. So I decided that this this level contains in total 180 goblins. And every time I roll up goblins when I'm stalking the dungeon with monsters, I will deduct the goblins I put in there from that total. And there will be some wandering monster patrols as well of between 10 and 20. I know 20 goblins is still quite a lot, but hey, that's OD&D, you know. So there's no goblins in here, but if they rest, there's basically a 4 and 6 chance... Or was I using a 2 and 6 chance? I can't remember now, but they've doubled the chance of a wandering monster. They did not, however, rest in that room. Now, there are three doors. The room is 20 feet um, across, so 20 feet east to west, and 50 feet north to the south. And the dimensions I tended to roll um, randomly. And there isn't... There is, actually, there is a... There is a dimensions that you can roll for chambers and, and rooms. Yeah, so, so whenever I, I give you the dimensions of the chambers, I did roll them randomly on that table. And you can also roll the number of exits and how many of them are secret. So there's one door across from the secret door. There's one door in the uh, north wall of the room. And another door in the east wall um, in the in the sort of the upper corner and that room is a one-way door the thing about doors in, in the first three the little brown booklets is there's no rules for locked doors because there was no thief class so the all doors were likely to be stuck shut and, and likely to require an open doors check which is the baseline two and six um, it specifically states that if you're a weak character, it's only one in six. And to me, that implies that a strong character has three and six. But, you know, you require an open doors check. Other than that, locking can be done by magic, as can unlocking. But, of course, this low-level party doesn't have access to uh, the, the kind of magic that unlocks doors. Um, there is a... There is mention of one-way doors as, as one of the tricks you might use, but there aren't any rules for it. However, um, Dungeonographer includes an icon for one-way doors. So in place of locked doors, I included one-way doors. And the east door that's not secret is a one-way door. So you can go through it without an open doors check, but once it closes behind you, there is no way that you're going to get through it, although it will open for monsters. Um... Because stuck doors always open automatically for monsters. It's just one of the things, you know, that you have to deal with. If you went through that door, and my daughter didn't, but if you went through that door, there is a 70-foot corridor at the end of which it makes an L turn to the north to another, to an 80-foot corridor, and that ends in a dead end. Somewhere along the east wall, there is a secret door. And that that leads into room two. And room two has a, a normal door in the north wall that you can escape and get back into the main part of the dungeon. So if you go if they had gone through that door, they'd be trapped in that corridor until they found the secret door. Now, I know where the secret door is, 
but they don't. And you have to search 10-foot sections of the wall. So they could be... There's a lot of 10-foot sections of walls to choose. So if they... Uh, if they didn't find it quickly, they could waste a lot of time in there. And again, this is just something I did as a little devious, time-wasting and frustrating thing. It's probably for the best that they did not actually go this way, because I think my daughter would have been pretty frustrated. She decided to use the door across from the secret door, which leads into the more interesting areas. Room 2, by the way, is another empty room. Um, and, uh, it's damp and dripping and there's no, uh, there's no, uh, there's no, uh, treasure or anything of interest. However, every time they enter that room, you roll for a random encounter check. And if you get a monster, it's goblins. So the idea is that this close to the entrance um, there's the rubbish dump area, and there's this area where goblins kind of gather um, as they're keeping an eye on the, the entrance to the dungeon. Because the whole point of the, the goblins being here is that, um, again, I referred to the fact that I, I started cooking up a story, even though you don't really need a, an overarching story for an old school mega dungeon. But I started, I decided that halfway down this dungeon there will be the lair of a necromancer and she's made her lair there because she knows or suspects that some kind of powerful magic item or source is down there and while she's looking for it she's got all these goblin minions who that, that are guarding the first level and the hook is that goblins being unreliable minions and kind of restless that they're not just keeping an eye on the first level of the dungeon and killing anything that comes down they are um they're sneaking out at night and raiding the countryside so if you are going to run a party through it and they need a reason the idea will be that goblins have been raiding um the local area and they've been tracked to this to the entrance of this dungeon so you go down there to fight some goblins and eventually you'll find that it's a much larger structure and there's other things going on so when she went through the door what you find is a, another long corridor with it's got a crisscrossing section so like a t-junction except it, it it doesn't end there it, it goes on so 50 feet you have passages opening up uh, north and south. So you're heading west and you have passages opening up north and south. The south passage goes on for 30 feet and ends in a door. The north passage goes on for 50 feet, no, 70 feet, and ends in a door. That, although she never found this out, is another one-way door. And she chose the north passage first, even though it was further away. If she had chosen Area 3, she would have found seven giant rats um, with the usual 5%. Actually, the 5% disease, I think at, at some point I started revising my key so that it would be compatible with swords and wizardry. Um, so the 5% disease thing, that sounds like swords and wizardry to me. They are prone to attack immediately, but they can be frightened off. So it's the kind of thing where... If they win the initiative, they'll probably close in and try to attack. Um, 
However, um, if the party gets a couple of good hits in, the rats will probably scatter and, and run away. But she didn't go in that room. They went north, and they entered the area four, which has got six kobolds in here. So that I did roll up randomly. Um, and the thing, kobolds are weaker than goblins, so this kind of suggests that the goblins themselves are outsourcing their duties to even more minion-y creatures. So the goblins themselves have minions, and that's these kobolds. And this is the, uh, the group that basically um, caused the party wipe, because uh, they won initiative, and they ruled really well. They, you, we were rolling attack rolls on D6s, um, which you might remember if you listened to my episode about chainmail combat. Um, I, th- I, have a, I suspect if we ran this combat again using the normal rules, that the party would have had a much better chance of actually surviving this. Because um, it is just six little kobolds. I mean, were their hit points? I rolled their hit points, and of course you roll... One of them has four hit points, but technically you should only be able to have a maximum of three because they have half a hit die. But yeah, there's two quite strong ones that have four hit points. Otherwise, their hit points are one, three, one, and two. Um, yeah, because te- maybe, I, maybe I did rule them on a d4 because I'm so used to the idea of kobolds having their hit... hit uh, their hit die being a d4, but originally when all hit dice were based on d6, the kobolds half a hit die meant that they had a maximum of three hit points. So it really shouldn't have been that difficult to fight. Um, I believe there was some attempt to negotiate with them as well, um, but the kobolds did not actually speak common, so that ended up not really working out. If they had defeated them, the party would have got away with 20 gold pieces, 50 feet of rope, and a grappling hook, two days stale dried rations, a flint and steel, all of which is in a dirty but usable sack. And I put the values for the the gear as well. So they could have got two, two gold pieces for the rope and grappling hook, two gold pieces for the rations, one gold piece for the flint and steel, and one gold piece for the sack if they wanted to sell those things instead of keep them. And that's basically as far as she um, she ever actually got, which is good because I hadn't actually finished most of the dungeon beyond at that time. There were a lot of rooms to the west and... Um, yeah, to the to the west and leading off to the area from the corridor to the west that I had developed, but north of Area 4 I, I had not actually built up. As a matter of fact, the next area north of Area 4 is numbered 13. So you can see how many rooms I, uh, I built um, to the west of Area 4, um, thinking that she would actually go through Area 3 and then... Um, there's a there's a door in the west wall of that that leads to another corridor that leads to areas five, six, and seven, and eight, and you know everything up <laughs> up before thirteen. As I say, I now have um, thirty nine keyed areas, so there's a lot more to be explored. But it is still not complete, and there are still like there are still you can still come across areas under construction that just aren't finished yet. If you happen to take certain turns. I've got, I whenever possible, I rolled using the uh, the monster list in the three little brown booklets. So I've got weird things like Nixies, 
Like I got a whole pool full of Nixies that will try to charm you. Um, it's maybe not so bad. I mean, they they'll they'll charm you and keep you underwater as slaves, but you probably won't mind it so much because they'll keep you permanently charmed. Um, I've got an area where some ritual is being performed. I've got, um, you know, green slime falling from the sky and stuff like that. I I drew a there's a there's a really large maze. And the maze is actually unsolvable um, if you just try to follow, you know, follow the passages. You cannot actually get through it. Um, but it's magical. So if you come to a dead end and you search for a secret door, I secretly roll a d12. And uh, if, I, if I roll a 1, then there's a secret door there. But that secret door will only last for one minute. Um, and if if you try to search for that secret door again, it might not be there. I mean, it would be there again if I happened to no- roll another one on the D12. But otherwise... So basically, you're going to have to wander around there, getting lots of random monster checks and fighting lots of random monsters until you happen to find a secret door. And you probably only need one to get you into a bit that, that will will allow you to exit the maze. But yeah, if you just follow the maze itself, you will only come to dead ends. And uh, but the idea is that eventually you will you will actually be able to, to to locate a secret door and get through. Maybe that's too devious, too mean, you know. That's why I call this the unplayable dungeon. I think it's just full of a lot of stuff that is impractical. That's one of my favorite areas. Another one of my favorite areas is a is a trick room where Daddy's creating a dungeon on his computer. You want to watch? Basically you see the light you you see the flickering candlelight. There's no door, it's a chamber, so it's open at either end and you see flickering candlelight and or lights from braziers and things and you can hear the sounds of like a dinner party and smell lots of food, but as soon as you enter the room it goes completely dark. All of that was an illusion, and no matter what you do, you cannot find anything in that room. There's an opening at the either at the other side. You, you said you were creating, weren't you? Yes, but I did. You're not creating, you're just speaking. Yes, I am. But as soon as you enter, exit the room, the illusion turns back on. And so I thought that would just be fun to see if I could confuse people and to trick them into trying to go back and, you know, see if they, see if one time it will, like how many times it takes you to enter and leave the room before you realize that you're never going to get the feast. Um, but I thought that was a cute trick. Um, not deadly at all, just a little a time waster that would be amusing for me. I also put in, um, or I drew a library. Like, again, I rolled this, this up randomly and, uh, um, the monster, the the first level dungeon monster list includes a seventh level magic user or enchanter, and that's that's the kind of thing that could really just completely destroy a first level party. Um, but I put him in the library, um, and what I decided is he's like a lieutenant of the main necromancer, but he wants to take over the operation. So he's looking through these books, hoping to find some arcane tome or something. I wonder that... why you are 
um, hoping to find some book that will give him magic that will allow him to overcome his master. Of course, he won't find anything because she's not stupid enough to have left a really good book um, up there. But when he meets the party, he will probably be more likely to try to enlist them to overcome his master. Or at least be as likely as not. I might do like a reaction roll and see, you know, roll the 2d12s and see see how what his feelings are towards the party. Also, because there's potentially powerful magic books there, he will not cast Fireball because he wouldn't want to risk damaging the books. So that's a way to have this really powerful opponent without it necessarily just destroying them as soon as they encounter encounter it because it's not necessarily a hostile encounter. I mean, it could be if they if they attack first or if the role playing goes badly or something like that. But those are some of the the more interesting uh interesting rooms that I remember. Um, maybe another time I will go through some of the other rooms um, or talk more about some of the rooms I've, I've mentioned now, like the, the room that the ritual is going on in and stuff like that. There are, there are much less um, funnel areas as you go on. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, you know, you can only get, you can only get through by finding secret doors and stuff like that and one-way doors and things like that. Um, it's not as bad as it sounds. Daddy.